Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Shimmy, shimmy, stomp. Something. Dance moves? I don't know. We're dancing. Oh, I could have taken the lead on that. I was a dancer. Oh, yeah. You were a dancer. Okay, so you try. All right. See if you can do it any better than me. two. Five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> That's my favorite part of any dance movie is when you get the five, six, seven, eight hard and then you just get like a woman in her early 30s panting and screaming at teenagers. That mm-hmm. is the good stuff. One, two, three, four, and you're just like, I would die for this woman. I don't know why, but I've been told that I should. Uh-huh. Oh, God. This movie is about a lot of things, but it is about the evil power that a dance coach holds over her dominion, her Jurassic Park dominions. Her minions. My famously rejected script for Universal Pictures, Jurassic Park dominions. It would have been the crossover event of the century, Uh but instead they went with Colin Trevorrow. Welcome to the Bechtel cast. My name is Jamie Loftus. My name is Caitlin Durante, and this is our show where we examine movies through an intersectional feminist lens, using the Bechtel test simply as a jumping off point. You're damn right. Which is, I'll tell you what it is. Tell me what that is. It's a media metric created by queer cartoonist Alison Bechtel, sometimes called the Bechtel-Wallace test, Uh originally appearing in her comic Dykes to Watch Out For in the Uh mid-80s. As a bit of a one-off goof that also kind of examines how there was so little representation of queer women in the movies at the time. Absolutely. Something I would like to mention more often as we discuss the Bechdel test. But anyway. There is deep lore for the Bechdel test. Such deep lore. Yes. Um, In any case, it is the medium metric that, again, we use as a springboard. Our version of it is... Two characters of a marginalized gender with names Mm -hmm. must speak to each other 
and their conversation has to be about something other than a man. Ideally, it's a substantial conversation and not just a nice day we're having, Sally. Yes, it is, Betty. Or some of our worst passes, which is like, shut the hell up. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which is a classic <laughs> woman dynamic. Um <laughs> Yes. So quickly, right off the top, today we are covering the classic Disney Channel original movie. And if you're a listener of this show, you have statistically been harassing us about covering one Disney Channel original movie or another for the better part of 10 years. Yes. So today we are covering one of the greats. We are covering Gotta Kick It Up 2002. Mm-hmm. But just so you know, the way that we're structuring our episode today because of guest availability is that it will be Caitlin and myself for the recap portion, and then we're going to bring in an incredible guest, Makita Rivas, for our discussion. So if you're like, Indeed. is there a guest? Yes. Eventually. Just patience. Patience. <laughs> yes. But yes, today we're covering Gotta Kick It Up, and boy, oh boy, mm. Caitlin. Yes. What is your history, if any, with the Disney Channel original movie, Gotta Kick It Up. I have no history with it. As with every other DCOM, I've never seen it. Right. <laughs> Until I've had to watch it for this show. Do you ever wonder who you would be if you... <laughs> do? Do you think you'd be different? I think I would. I think like... Because... In a small way. But in a way. Not substantial. I don't think it would have informed my taste very differently than it already is because I did watch some like almost decom coded movies, but ones sure. with just like higher budgets. But the one that comes to mind would be like Lindsay Lohan Parent Trap, mm-hmm. which I saw on repeat as a kid. But also as a kid, I was watching Titanic every day. So, right. you know. I mean, yeah, there's no lack of the general vibe in your life. I feel like mainly my life would be different because I would not wear so many ugly clothes and be like, this is awesome. (laughs) Uh But unfortunately, there was one of these damn things on every single week and they would be wearing the weirdest stuff. Uh And you would, I mean, I feel like it's the xenonification of, wow. Uh, yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> of women of a certain age is what sure, I say. And also, sure. let's like take the gender specificity out of it. We're all impacted by the mm. brutal choices made by the various costuming departments in these films. Indeed. So all that to say, I had never seen this movie. I had no history with it, but I'm excited to discuss. Mm. Jamie. What is your relationship with Gotta Kick It Up! Exclamation point. I love this movie. I saw it the day it aired on television. Wow. Sorry. I was in elementary school when this came out. I remember watching it with my cousins as as I feel like my answer for every DCOM uh, because Mm -hmm. there's only so many ways to get kids to shut up. And (laughs) this was one of them at this time. My cousins, they were always, I remember it like, because we all lived within a mile of each other. My mom ran the daycare at my house. We were together a lot. And then these would air on Friday nights. And so, first of all, even if you weren't Mm -hmm. excited about the movie, it was a sleepover opportunity. And so you had to spend as much time with your girlies as possible. And so this was an Mm -hmm. opportunity. And it felt like, to me, 
and I wonder how my cousins feel about this, I will ask them, <laughs> that it felt to me that if the decom was about girls, mm-hmm. higher likelihood that the sleepover would would be approved by the powers that be. And oh. and if you're getting kind of like a Kyle Massey original, if you're getting like a Ricky Coleman movie, you wouldn't understand. He played <laughs> Raven Simone's little brother, Corey, on That's So okay. Raven. He later starred mm. in the spinoff, Corey in the House, in which inexplicably... He moves to the White House. I didn't watch that one. Okay. Because so it was about boys. The White House and not the Smart House. Not the Smart House, which is my White House. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, anyways, they're all a part of the same expanded universe. But um, yes. <laughs> anyways, we, we watched all of these for whatever, seven or eight years until it was suddenly uncool to do so. Mm-hmm. Gotta kick it up, though. Firmly remember watching it. Remember watching it with my cousins. And we loved girls and dancing and so this Mm -hmm. was an event and at the time I don't I mean as I rewatched it I remembered I feel like with a lot of childhood movies I remember basically nothing that happened in this movie I remembered girls I remembered dancing and I think because of how history played out I remembered America Ferreira yes of course and so when I went to revisit this movie what I thought this movie was was a movie about a group of teen dancers starring America Ferrera mm-hmm. who do cool dances and win the contest. It is, however, a movie in which America Ferrera barely has a character where <laughs> a white woman who played Belle on Broadway and did the voice for Megara and Hercules plays yeah. a white savior coach who teaches a group of teen girls nothing mm-hmm. that's sort of what happens because it's not as though she's inspiring them to start dancing they're already mm-hmm. all dancers and at many points in this movie they're dancing in spite of her and so <laughs> i found it interesting to be like oh this movie is actually about a central white character i didn't even remember mm-hmm. who i really do like upon further reflection she's certainly and i feel like the nature of these movies Mm -hmm. and by that i mean teacher student kind of sappy movies i'm gonna take the white savior element out for a moment Mm -hmm. but it's like well sure they learn from me but i learn from them too Mm -hmm. but even if you put this movie up to a microscope i don't think that they really learned anything from her no well that's correct anyways (laughs) she's able to overcome her very boring problems related to not finishing her freshman year at Juilliard. I'm like, yeah. cry me a fucking river. Mm-hmm. Anyways, in my memory, this movie was a great cinematic achievement. In reality, <laughs> it is a very interesting, somewhat dated, but I think valuable to talk about cinematic achievement. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I can't argue with that. Yeah. So shall we talk about it further with the recap? Let's recap, baby. But first, let's take a quick little break. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. 
Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&Ms, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric. Cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change and certain restrictions may apply. And we're back. We're back. Okay, here's the recap for Gotta Kick It Up! Exclamation point. And you gotta. And you simply gotta. If there's one thing you gotta do. It's kick it up. Did you know the original title to this movie was Kick It Up! Exclamation point, And then it turns out that was something. And they're like, hmm, how do we punch it up? <laughs> gotta. I do think that that choice alone illustrates the immediacy with which these movies are made, where they're like, I don't know, it airs in 10 minutes. What are you going to call it? (laughs) You're like, um, (laughs) you got to kick it up. You got to kick it up. And so it was. I did not. I was like, is this like a dance expression? The way that like, oh, you know what? First of all, it's not. First of all, as a dancer, it isn't. (laughs) Also, when I went on to urbandictionary.com to confirm to talk about gotta kick it up you could just text me my god well i was like okay is kick it up a dance expression no and it's not and when you 
look up, kick it up on Urban Dictionary, the first entry is oh no when your friends want you to smoke a big ass joint with them why in the <laughs> year would 2023 say, would you consult this website <laughs> and then the response is like oh yeah let's kick it up tonight and that means to smoke a joint of marijuana okay so, first of um, all if you're a listener please let us know if you've ever heard that in your fucking life <laughs> it's like that reminds me of my mom still not fully understanding the implications of the phrase hook up oh in a way that i think i maybe have talked about in the show before but it always makes me laugh where she's like hey i have to go hook up with your uncle (laughs) you're just like you don't (laughs) she means meet up but she says it like she's gonna have sex with her brother-in-law you know and so in that way it's language is amazing and it can sound like anything but in terms of kick it up as far as i know unless it's a dance genre i am not trained in no it's not an expression and not to brag Mm -hmm. but i was the captain of my high school dance team and so if there was any kicking of it up i think Mm -hmm. i would have known something about it that's true but i believe colloquially within the community of high school dancers the phrase was kick it was okay. merely kick got it it up was implied within the action of course now you're not gonna kick it down title reminded me that so many movies that center female athletics uh-huh have it in the title remember we did a whole matreon theme based on whip this it, whip it stick, stick it, it bring it on and bring it on also i would say Almost definitively, they got to kick it up in part, got a green light off of the success of Bring It On. I would say yes, probably. As I feel is the tendency for like, if there's a very successful like movie that comes out theatrically, about a year or so later, there'll be sort of a version of it that comes out on the Disney Channel. It's Uh just how society works. And you can (laughs) like that or not. Sure, sure, sure. But anyways, okay. What's this movie about? Out. I'll tell you what it is it. about. Wow. <laughs> because we also were pondering, what does it ever refer to in the title of these movies? We're not quite sure. Yeah, what are they kicking up? Their feet? I meant like spiritually. <laughs> oh, right. I'm a dancer, Caitlin. I know what they're kicking. Yes, I forgot. Oh my God. <laughs> You're starting to piss me off and we're going to post a picture of my high school dance team because I'm, I'm starting to get it's fine all right well, okay <laughs> one last tangent before we oh no dive in. Just that every time i learned about this movie before seeing it or knowing what it was about i assumed based on the verb in the title kick kick that it would be about soccer um, and so i was like woohoo soccer movie as a also captain of captain. my high school Look, soccer team both leaders about captains. We're leaders oh captain my captain oh which speaks to okay before we got on mic uh-huh. we were talking about wow we really communicate in the love language of subgenres. We, we were talking about how this movie is directed by the same director ramon menendez who directed stand and deliver which has as you're mm-hmm. about to hear a similar but different overarching story is like A teacher inspires a group of youths to aspire to greatness. And that is Mm -hmm. a subgenre I like to think of as substitute teacher movies. And not to really brag, because not only 
was I a high school dance captain? I also would wow. later be a substitute teacher, which is sort of a direct mm-hmm. one to two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, if the truth is to be said. And and my career as a substitute teacher was four months in Watertown, Massachusetts. Brave of me mm-hmm. to say, um, but I did not know what to do. When I was substitute teaching gym, I would make the kids run in a circle. And if they were good, I would play Let It Go from Frozen. And that was one uh-huh. lesson. That's an example of one of my lesson plans. <laughs> my other lesson plan was movies. And I would pull from the same mm-hmm. substitute teacher movies that I would watch, which included Stand and Deliver, which included mm-hmm. Remember the Titans. I think most significantly, Remember the Titans to me is my seminal substitute teacher movie. Uh-huh. What else? Were you, Mr. Holland's Opus. Anytime a teacher yeah. is doing some shit that they shouldn't be doing, Dead Poet Society, but that's more of like Ew, a high well. school energy. You can't show that to second graders. Remember the Titans? Uh-huh. Turn it on for a- f- fucking anybody. You know? Oh, I would have assumed it would have been more appropriate for older kids but not if you ask the second graders i taught and you can rewatch mm-hmm. it let me know if that was bad of me to do <laughs> but i did anyways mm-hmm. this i feel like even though it didn't become because i think it was like a tv movie but i think that this yeah. movie falls squarely into like substitute teacher movie canon why were we talking about this because yeah. i said oh captain my captain oh dead poet society okay yeah yeah well what's the movie about what is it i'll tell you and we'll figure out what it is (gasps) later yes 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 okay so we open on the first day of school at marshall middle school in southern california i'm guessing la area but it doesn't really specify we'll talk about this in the discussion but the movie is based on experiences that one of the writers had in the la area so i think it's implied Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and before classes start for the day, when everyone is just sort of lounging around outside, two students, Daisy, played by Camille Guati and Yolanda, that's America Ferreira, start dancing. You might even say they are kicking it up. And then another girl, Esmeralda, played by Sabrina Wiener, wants to dance with them, but Daisy has a bit of an attitude and she won't let Esmeralda dance. Don't worry. That will not really impact the plot moving forward. It's just something that (laughs) happens a couple of times. It's just a way to introduce the characters. It's just a way to say some shit. Yes. Then we meet Miss Bartlett, played by Susan Egan. Yes. Susan Egan is Belle on Broadway. Just keep that in Uh. mind because... She's just like associated with so many famous voice roles that it's like really hard to ignore. Mm-hmm. She is the new biology teacher at the school. Don't worry. She's not qualified for the job. <laughs> she does not have a background in biology or really science of any kind. Which is substitute teacher coded. Yes. Except she's a permanent teacher. Yeah. And she lives in a house. Uh-huh. And I was like, this is a fantasy world. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> yeah. Principal Zavala, played by Miguel Sandoval, who I recognize from the beginning of Jurassic Park. Fun little fact about me. Oh, he's kind of a legendary character. He's been in so Mm -hmm. much stuff. Indeed. Yeah. So the principal goes up to Miss Bartlett and he's like, good luck. These students can be pretty intimidating. And you're like, what do you mean by that? 
Well, right. And I think what he means is that Miss Bartlett is a waspy, blonde, white woman. And the majority of the students at this school are Latinx. And the students in Miss Bartlett's class do not take her seriously. And Daisy even gets up and starts dancing like on her desk. I don't appreciate that this is implied to be a racial comment when it is simply how teenagers treat new teachers. Yeah. (laughs) You're just like, yeah, she's a joke because she's an adult and she's new here. That's just how that Mm -hmm. works. Yes, indeed. And then as this kind of chaos is unraveling, Principal Zavala walks in, sees the disruption, and gives Daisy a month of detention. Mm. Now, speaking of dancing, or kicking it up as it's known across all cultures, Yolanda is talking to her friend Alyssa, played by Joanna Flores, about the school's dance team. The previous dance coach had retired So now it looks like there's not going to be a dance team this year. That is until Esmeralda discovers that Miss Bartlett went to Juilliard. So she asks the principal to try to recruit Miss Bartlett to be the new dance coach. And Miss Bartlett reluctantly agrees and tryouts are coming up. Mm-hmm. And Daisy negotiates with Principal Zavala to join the dance team instead of serving her detention time. At the suggestion of her boyfriend of ambiguous age named Chewy, who yes. said that he had done the same thing previously. Right. So Daisy, Yoli, Esmeralda, Alyssa all try out for the team, as well as another girl named Marisol. She's played by Solima Rodriguez. And they, along with a handful of other girls who will never speak and we will never actually meet, but that's just how movies work, they all make the team. Miss Bartlett is very, like, no-nonsense, and she expects the girls to be as dedicated to the team as she is. And they start to get into shape, and they start to put choreography together, And then it's time for their first competition at Rolling Hills Middle School. But the team's performance is pretty sloppy, and Daisy gets so pissed about it that she storms off stage and quits the team. Mm -hmm. And the team in general doesn't have a lot of faith in Miss Bartlett, but then Daisy sees Miss Bartlett dancing in the gym by herself. (laughs) Okay, one of the most iconic scenes in the movie (laughs) Because it sucks. Yeah. yeah. Like it is heavily implied and, and this we'll talk about in our discussion as well, but it's like very implied that it's like, oh, Miss Bartlett's relationship to dance is really complicated. And you're sort mm-hmm. of like, um, okay. <laughs> but yeah, then the first glimpse you get of why that may be. And it also is repeatedly referenced in a way that I don't think she's really held the task for in the Mm -hmm. scope of the movie is that she is projecting her own issues onto the team and Mm -hmm. intentionally holding them back because of issues that she hasn't resolved in regards to her relationship to dance. Right. Spoiler alert. The reveal is very boring, Mm -hmm. but this is the first scene where we see like her dancing, like no one's watching. And for some reason, (laughs) and I think this is also very just like 
in the way that these movies are written to be pretty soapy. Mm -hmm. Seeing Miss Bartlett dance like no one's watching infuriates Daisy. She says, how dare you dance as if no one's watching when we could have been watching. (laughs) Right. I love drama. (laughs) Because it turns out that Miss Bartlett has more moves than the team realized. And it seems like she's been holding back. So Miss Bartlett then convinces Daisy to rejoin the team and they all get to work on some more serious choreography. And then there's an upcoming competition at Hamilton Middle School, but Miss Bartlett won't let them compete at it because she thinks they still have a lot more work to do. She wants them to be the absolute best because a part of her whole thing and her arc is that like she put too much pressure on herself to be perfect and she thinks that being the best is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Now the girls feel differently and they decide to enter the competition without Miss Bartlett knowing. So the team spruces up their uniforms and heads to Hamilton. Daisy's boyfriend Chewy and his friends give them a ride. Mm-hmm. Because they're very supportive for a chunk of the movie. Right, until they're suddenly not, for no reason. (laughs) But the team, they're not sure if they can do this, but then... And they're like, can we kick it up? (laughs) We gotta. We gotta. We gotta. And then Marisol is like, well, my grandma always says, si, se puede, which means, yes, we can, which becomes the team's motto. So just a quick, uh, they briefly contextualize it within the movie, but I also want to contextualize it within the uh, episode. So the Mm -hmm. phrase, si se puede, it's a historical phrase. It was very intentionally put into the movie by Mm -hmm. its, it's safe to say, primary writer, Nancy de los Santos, who also wrote Mm -hmm. Selena, amongst many other movies. So she contextualizes it in an interview that she did a couple years ago with a website called millennialhallmarker.com. Mm. She says, I am extremely proud of getting Cisa Puede into the script and onto the television screen, but it's not a dance phrase or wasn't at the time. Cisa Puede is Spanish for yes, you can. Yes, it is possible. And it is the motto of the United Farm Workers Union, co-founded by union activists Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta. The phrase is credited to Ms. Huerta in support of Cesar's hunger strike during the union's creation. I love the phrase and wanted the young dance team to have words that reflected their strength and commitment to their goal. And it was great to hear these words spoken on television. It always makes me smile. Mm-hmm. I really loved that she got to say that. It, it, this was yeah. for the 15th anniversary of the movie, so 2017. Mm-hmm. But that, yeah, this is um, in a movie that, as you'll hear in our discussion, certainly has plenty to criticize about a lack of cultural specificity. Mm-hmm. The phrase si puede, and also having it contextualized as something that was important to this character's grandma does sort of give it a cultural specificity. And mm-hmm. I don't know, honestly, like, I don't know if I ever would have learned this phrase if it weren't for this movie. Mm-hmm. Nice. Thanks for sharing. Um, <laughs> okay. Wow, I said bravely. Yeah, you, bitchy. You know. <laughs> um, thanks. Um, thank you. Anyways, <laughs> anyways, back to the recap. Uh, no, I kid. But also, here's the rest of the recap. Okay, um, fine. So, <laughs> so the team competes at Hamilton Middle School, and they oh. get third place. 
Uh-huh. And while they're there, a woman named Lionel Elliott, who's the dean at a prestigious performing arts high school, approaches Daisy and wants her to apply to the school. And Daisy is hopeful, but she's also concerned about tuition costs and things like that. I really love, again, it's like another teen movie thing, but the name of the dance scout is a woman named Linnell Elliott, played mm-hmm. by Yvonne Farrow. And I just love when a character is only referred to by their full name for ostensibly mm-hmm. no reason to just like intimate their grandeur. And so they never call her Linnell. They never call mm-hmm. her Ms. Elliot. Every single time it's Linnell Elliot's going to be there. And it's like, they're saying Barbara Streisand, but it's just like mm, a lady in the movie. And yeah. she's always wearing a pantsuit. She's kind of like our resident girl boss of the movie. And she's great. And she's sort of like, mm-hmm. she, you know, she's like, hey, you know, we can get you a full scholarship. And you're like, wow, that never happens. Linnell Elliot, mm-hmm. as far as we know, an icon. We respect an her. An ally. Yeah. Yeah. True. It's Linnell Elliot for crying out loud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, famously. Okay, so the girls return from the competition. Their parents are really upset for just sort of like disappearing for a few hours. Miss mm-hmm. Bartlett finds out about it, and she's also upset that they betrayed her trust. Mm-hmm. But Daisy is like, well, it feels like you don't believe in us. And Miss Bartlett is like, actually, it's that I don't believe in myself, and I've put too much pressure on myself to be perfect. And then so mm-hmm. after this heart to heart, everyone feels ready to keep competing. So the team puts together another routine. They gear up for regionals. There's some drama along the way, such as Daisy's boyfriend, Chewy can't handle that she's spending so much time dancing. So he breaks up with her. Ugh, we'll talk about that. <laughs> yeah. The school doesn't have the budget to pay for their trip to regionals. And then also Miss Bartlett was offered a job at another dot-com company or whatever they keep calling it. Mm-hmm. And the team finds out about this job offer and they feel betrayed. But Miss Bartlett is like, no, I turned it down. I'm still your dance coach. And then they put on a car wash slash food festival thing to raise funds for the trip to regionals. And then also Chewie comes around and apologizes for being an ass. And then it's the day of the regional competition. The team is there with their new uniforms. Daisy almost chokes because Linnell Elliott is there to evaluate her dancing. But she... Does a good job. The team puts on a great performance and they get second place. Yay, the end. Yay. Si se puede. I always forget because it's like, it does feel like such an unconventional choice to be like, let's end at the penultimate competition and we'll just sort of mm-hmm. tell you in a slide how they did. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about this in a second, but like, because this is semi based on real experience. I was like, why couldn't they just win first place? Why? Yeah. Embellish those details, you, you know? know? You got to kick it up. The plot, that is. Wow. And with that, <laughs> let's take a break and come back mm-hmm. with a full discussion with our wonderful guest. 
Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric. Cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change and certain restrictions may apply. All right, we are pleased to be joined by our special guest. She's a freelance journalist. She covers culture and style. It's Makita Rivas. Hello. Hello. Hi. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thanks so much for being here. So we approached you because you had written a really great piece in Refinery29 about the movie. And so... We're just curious, basically, what your relationship with this movie is, kind of preliminary thoughts, and then we'll get further into it. Yeah, because we also want to talk about how, I mean, your piece is about how your feelings about it just changed over time. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. What's interesting is I hadn't really thought about this movie in probably 20 years. And (laughs) I um, have been contributing at Refinery29 Somos for a while. And my editor was like, hey, this anniversary is coming up for this movie, which, you know, was pretty influential for a lot of young Latinas growing up, you know, 15, 20 years ago. So would you want to rewatch it and just sort of like, let me know your thoughts. And so I Mm -hmm. had honestly, I kind of went into it a blank slate. Like I think I last saw it on the Disney channel when I was maybe 11, 12 years old, give or take. Um, So I couldn't really recall much other than like your typical group of like rebellious, troubled kids who are essentially kind of like adopted by this like white savior, you know, sort of character. And then upon rewatch, I was like, oh, wow, like some of this has not aged very well. So it was sort of a journey, but there were still parts of it that did feel heartwarming. So it was a little like a mix of both, I would say. For sure. Sure. I mean, there's something to be said for, I mean, Latinx representation in like major Hollywood movies is still extremely low. And so for this decom to, I mean, you could, I was going to say for it to center this like team of Latina Yeah, uh, but you could also argue that it's like the lady who, it's first of all so distracting that it's like the lady who voiced Belle, because once I learned that, I couldn't unhear (laughs) the voice the whole time. Yeah, yeah. But it's like also about her like flopping at Juilliard and you're like, well, I don't (laughs) care about her flopping at Juilliard. I just don't. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think there was like another part where she talks about like growing up her parents like wanted her to work really hard she was just saying like I felt like I had to be the best or like good was never good enough and essentially it felt like her sob story was like her parents wanted her to work too hard and Mm -hmm. just like I mean I'm not trying to minimize that by any means but it just was sort of like I don't know if this like warrants you you know like kind of diverting away from you know the other Latina characters in the movie it kind of felt like there were parts where her backstory probably could have been compressed a little bit more right and one thing that really stuck with me about your piece was how you closed it which is by saying why couldn't Miss Bartlett been Latina like Mm -hmm. why and and I had the same feeling as I was re-watching it where I don't know. I, I found it very interesting that this movie was directed by the same director as Stand and Deliver because you're like, oh, this guy's bread and butter is yeah. teachers bringing students together. But having I mean, obviously, the optics of the teacher being white and clearly from a more privileged background just like totally undercuts a lot of elements of the story. And yeah, your suggestion was like, yeah, why did they not do that? I don't know. Questions that need answers. <laughs> and we don't have them Um, (laughs) although I guess what informs this choice not justifies it but informs it at the very least is a little bit of context which is so the story is based on the experience of Megan Cole who is one of the I guess creative minds behind this movie she has like a story by credit and she's Mm -hmm. also a Mm co-producer she was like a producer at Disney at the time so she was like the one to pitch the story Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Right. And so I'll just quote an article or a review from the LA Times entitled Life Inspires Story with Some Kick. Mm. So, uh, quote, prior to joining the Walt Disney Company, Cole was involved with the nonprofit Teach for America program that places instructors in under-resourced schools across the country. Cole, who has a master's degree in education from Harvard University, <laughs> me vibes with my master's degree in screenwriting from Boston University, <laughs> something that I would okay. never mention ever. You're like, life. it's in Boston, basically Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> basically Harvard. Um, okay, so back to the quote. So Cole, uh, who has a master's degree in education, landed at Nimitz Middle School in Huntington Park, where she started the campus's first competitive dance program. Although Gotta Kick It Up was quote unquote, inspired by her experiences at Nimitz. The movie is set at a fictitious Marshall Middle School. And then I'll kind of end the quote there because it sort of just recaps the movie. But it puts into perspective why the movie focuses so much on this like white woman or Well, even so, though, like with all due respect to Megan, she she upped herself to having gone to Juilliard, which is pretty significant creative license because as from what I could see, she was on her high school dance team. I'm like, well, if Megan went to Juilliard, so did I. And I didn't. (laughs) Um, But I feel like that even that, like taking that creative license pretty clearly illustrates that there are elements of the story that were not adapted one-to-one. And Mm -hmm. so keeping the teacher as a more privileged college-educated white woman was a very changeable thing. And mm-hmm. uh, it feels mm-hmm. pointed that they did not view that particular element of the story as changeable. Yeah, I would definitely yeah. agree with that. So my understanding of, I just wanted to yeah go a little more into the context yeah. of this, where like these movie of the week, like tracking production for movies of the week is so difficult because I'm mm-hmm. like oh yeah this movie was made in Canada for $12 in two weeks yeah it's hard to trace the history like right. that's just how they're made but my understanding is that Megan Cole pitched the story loosely based on her own experiences and then they hired another screenwriter who had written the Selena movie a couple years before Nancy De Los Santos who wrote the main teleplay along with two sort of Disney white guys stalwarts and that the director Ramon Menendez also helped with the story so it was a very like Mm -hmm. collaborative effort but from what I understood I mean there's an interview with Nancy De Los Santos a couple of years ago that makes it seem like she was it was mainly a collaboration between herself and Megan Cole where Nancy went to the middle school where Megan Cole had taught. She interviewed the former dancers that she'd worked with and Mm -hmm. tried to write a story that revolved around Latinas based on women that she spoke to, and which I think is great and makes it even more frustrating (laughs) that it's like the whole Megan Cole needing to be Megan Cole within the story is such a sticking point. Yeah, I was a little surprised to hear about Nancy's involvement. And you would think that her involvement would hopefully had had an influence Mm -hmm. on maybe steering the story in another direction. But at the end of the day, I guess not. Yeah, not so much. (laughs) Every time there's a situation like that, I'm like, 
I can't imagine how much pushback you would get from a place like Disney. Like, I'm sure that she mm-hmm. wanted to <laughs> include less garbage than ends up in the movie. Yeah. Or I would hope so. She. It was a lovely interview. We can link it in the description. She's talked specifically about being proud of getting the Si Se Puede phrase mm-hmm. into the movie and including some you know, actual cultural history and explaining what it is, which, again, was just rare in these Disney movies of the week. It would usually be like a dog learns to bake or whatever. Right. Yeah. No, for sure. <laughs> a house is smart. What if a house is smart? Okay, that's a good one, though. So watch your mouth. Oh, my gosh. Uh, good times. Good times. <laughs> you would also think that with Nancy's involvement, the Latina characters would have been a little bit more amplified as far as their characterization and their interior lives, their backstories. And we get a little bit of that for some of the Mm -hmm. characters, but I felt like some of the characterization was just a little undercooked, especially Mm -hmm. with like, and maybe it's just because America Ferreira is such a star now. And for her to like, we never meet her family. We never see her at home. The only thing we know is that she's bad at math. And you're like, okay, well, that's relatable. But what else? It's wild because like she's, and again, it's probably partially because she became so famous so quickly after this movie. Mm -hmm. But she was sort of like one of the only parts I remembered about this movie and I was surprised to rewatch it and see that they yeah they've barely written a character for her mm-hmm. yeah she's surprisingly one-dimensional and like you said she's such a star and she commands the screen and, and you kind of like want more from her when you're yeah. when you're watching so yeah that's a little a little disappointing for sure it, like the character development in general is very inequitable across the girls I would say right and it's like at the expense of the Miss Bartlett character having mm-hmm. so much. Yeah. Like she has the most significant arc. She mm-hmm. has the most significant backstory. Why is that the case when it's a movie about this group of girls at, right. on this dance team at this school? Well, let's take it sort of character by character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just so we can talk about what we do learn about yeah. characters. Mm-hmm. So. Honestly, I don't know how, unfortunately, how much more I have to say about Yolanda's character because there really isn't much there. I know I like her, but I'm like, is mm-hmm. it just because I like America Ferreira? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. The character I feel like there is the, we learn the most about and there's the most to talk about is Daisy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know that, Makita, you sort of spoke on how you felt about Daisy in your piece a little bit, but I'm curious, yeah, what do you make of that character? Daisy, she's so interesting to me. I mean, I think, I think she has a, a pretty authentic character arc, you know, like mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. kind of playing that typical troubled teen who, you know, doesn't maybe have the most respect for authority and kind of like all of those tropes. I think mm-hmm. she plays it with a certain degree of heart. So I do like feel for her and toward the end when her and Miss Bartlett like kind of finally see eye to eye and you know you kind of have that like Disney Channel happy ending I am ultimately rooting for her I think there are some parts where the conflict maybe felt like a little contrived like when I was re-watching it and it was like 
oh, she like got up and danced in class and then got like a month's detention. And that was like the whole reason why this whole thing started. You know what I mean? And it was just kind yeah. of like this is, yeah, it was a little like that part was a little like cringe and laughable. But, you know, taking it for what it is, like being a Disney Channel movie, I think um, I think she plays it pretty well. And like, I will say her boyfriend is another interesting character. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That's uh, your response is pretty much summed it up, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I mean, I have a huge nostalgic attachment to this movie. But as I was rewatching it, I'm like, oh, I basically remember nothing about what happened. I just remember being like, girls dancing is awesome to me. Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> that was basically my takeaway. For sure. Um, but there are two back-to-back conflicts that are immediately resolved towards the end of the movie where the first one I thought was very funny because it was like mrwebsite.com comes to Mrs. Bartlett's house and he's like this website is taking off you gotta join the website (laughs) and then she's like I don't know should I join the website and then in the next scene she's like I'm not gonna join the website you're like well then why did I have to look at that yeah what's the point yeah (laughs) the second one I think is more interesting because like you're saying Makita Daisy has a boyfriend named Chewy who I'm like how old is this yeah I know I know she is 14 (laughs) get away from her but we don't know so if we're like He's TV 15, which is like human 27. We don't know. Right. right? He's old enough to have a driver's license. So he's at least 16. At least, yeah. Mm -hmm. So he's ambiguously older than her. Even if we're leaving that on the table. I thought he was an interesting character because, I don't know, I feel like very often you are shown dropout characters as like, this person is bad they're bad news and Mm, anyone mm -hmm. who drops out of high school is bad which is so prescriptive and such bullshit that I towards the beginning of the story appreciated that it was like he dropped out of high school but he's thriving to the extent that he can he's got a Mm -hmm. job like he's doing okay and it was a sympathetic character who was generally supportive towards Daisy at first but then but Mm -hmm. well that's Mm -hmm. the thing that felt like a writing thing to me where he just like to me, turned out of mm-hmm. nowhere and was like, actually, nowhere. I hate you. It did seem out of nowhere. Yeah. yeah. Super out of left field. I don't know where that decision came from. I think they're like, oh, we need more drama. More drama. More drama. <laughs> yeah. I think that was it. But then it like also resolves within 10 minutes because he's like, mm-hmm. I hate you. We were supposed to have a family. And then she correctly is like, I'm 14. <laughs> <laughs> And (laughs) Mrs. Bartlett, I think, you know, correctly advises Daisy to be like, hey, don't worry about what this guy is telling you if he's an asshole. Like, this is a good opportunity for you. Yeah. But that's Mm -hmm. also loaded coming from the white savior teacher (laughs) about a Latin teenage boy. And so that also felt bizarre. And then it doesn't matter because he's like, oh, I changed my mind. I'm supportive again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. My main takeaway from that was he does not deserve the redemption the story gives him because mm-hmm. he's really cruel and he's basically just like, don't follow your dreams. All you should do is spend time with me. Mm-hmm. This whole dance thing is getting in the way and don't do that. And if you're not willing to compromise and like 
basically give up dance for me, then you're out of my life. And she's like, um, what? <laughs> Once again, I'm 14. Why is this right. even a conversation? Right. And then like a few scenes later, he shows up at the car wash and he's like, just kidding. Here's a hundred dollars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, we need a higher forgiveness tax. Exactly. Yeah. He needs to put in more effort. I don't know if it was supposed to be speaking to like the fickleness of teenagers and maybe like teenage boys in general. I I don't know. But yeah, it did seem like kind of like emotional whiplash there. For sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I mean, ultimately, I it was frustrating because, again, the age thing was throwing me. Mm -hmm. But I generally liked Chewy and it seems like they were like not bad for each other like whatever what teenage relationship is good really like they famously don't go well but like it didn't seem like they were bad for each other and it seemed like the story had a lot of love for him and Mm -hmm. had an interest in like characterizing him to be like a sweet person and then it just felt like the script turned on him it didn't feel like that was foreshadowed in any way definitely not but anyways daisy Daisy. Daisy. Well, to bring it all back is what we know mostly about her. I guess, you know, she's the character who butts heads most with Miss Bartlett. Mm-hmm. Um, she's also her friendship with Yolanda seems to be the strongest friendship in the movie, mm-hmm. even though we kind of know nothing about it. Because, again, we know nothing about Yolanda. Yeah. But at least like the script allots space to establish them as close friends. But aside from that, the main thing we understand or learn about Daisy's interior life is her relationship with her boyfriend, which like fine, but because especially we get other characters and more information about their home lives Mm -hmm. and, you know, we meet their families or we have a sense of like what their interests are outside of dance and stuff like that. But it just felt a little, I don't know, just a very easy choice to make for like the, character who's essentially the protagonist uh-huh. in Daisy is the one who's like well of course she has a hetero boyfriend yeah it kind of seems like most of her story outside of the central conflict between her and Miss Bartlett is essentially about her being in a relationship yeah you know with this interesting chewy character so I do think that was a missed opportunity and again for Yoli as well I don't really understand why certain characters got maybe a more holistic sort of treatment in terms of like painting their family life and at least like putting faces to names in terms of who the parents were, who siblings were and and things mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. It would have been nice to have had that for all the girls. Totally. Well, that's like part of what it seems like part of the reason this even made it to air, which also speaks to like the dearth of Latin stories that were out there at this time was because a white lady who already worked at Disney happened to have this experience. And so Mm -hmm. she becomes so baked into the story. But like as I was rewatching it and also just reflecting on what I remembered about the movie, which was teenage girls dancing and that was my favorite thing in the world yeah I did not remember how integral the coach character was and I wish I guess it was closer to my like warped childhood memory which was like this is a movie about a group of Latina middle schoolers who form a dance team and win Mm -hmm. and I was surprised and kind of bummed out that 
the movie did not center around their relationships with each other as much, which I feel mm. like kind of, if mm-hmm. we're talking decom expanded universe, I think I was maybe projecting some cheetah girls onto yeah gotta sure. kick it up because that movie which we've talked about on the show and has many of its own faults but does generally focus on how the girls relate to each other and their mm-hmm. interpersonal conflict and that doesn't exist in this movie as much as I thought it would which sucks because it's like I wish that the central relationship in this movie was between Daisy and Yoli like that makes mm-hmm. more sense than having Daisy's tether be this lady who flunked out of Juilliard like who cares right <laughs> right yeah 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 the friendship between Daisy and Yoli is the most the one we know exists but yeah. again we don't know anything about it except that they seem to bond over their mutual interest in dance there is conflict between Daisy and Esmeralda mm-hmm. to some degree where Esmeralda she isn't quite so challenging of authority as mm-hmm. Daisy is and so she's like come on let's dance and let's follow the rules yeah. and Daisy thinks she's like kind of a nerd based on her choice in yeah, music that felt or pretty like, like classic like contrived introvert versus extrovert mm-hmm. yeah like almost like esmeralda being sort of like the goody two-shoes and daisy yeah. is like the non-goody two-shoes basically you know doesn't necessarily right. listen to authority and wants to kind of like do her own thing and mm-hmm. but agreed that also felt contrived i think like one of the first lines in the film is like esmeralda is trying to share like some music that she wants like the girls to dance to. And Mm -hmm. I think Daisy's like, I have the moves. I pick the tunes or something like that, you know? And it's just like, so, (laughs) so 2000s movie, so 2000s, (laughs) like very like bring it on esque dialogue. Yes. Yeah. Um, And you're just like, wait, why is this like suddenly contentious? Like, aren't you guys friends? So that was also kind of weird at times. And it kind of goes underexplored, too, because it's like yeah. that that conflict comes up a few times, but you never really know where it comes from. Oh. And then it seems like it just sort of dissipates over time, which can be true of conflict between teenagers. But it's like, it's a movie yeah. of the week. I need more information. I need more info. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Daisy says something like, get your girly music out of here. <laughs> it's like, first of all, what's... <laughs> with girly music define that yeah what is girly music what does that yeah, what mean do, what do you even mean by that so esmeralda is one of the characters whose home life we do see we meet both of her parents they seem loving and supportive although they they expect a lot of esmeralda especially as far as like providing some care for her younger brother they appear to both be like working parents who probably have pretty demanding work schedules Mm -hmm. so they rely on esmeralda and i like that there's that scene where she like sticks up for herself like you expect so much from me why can't i have this one thing for myself and Mm -hmm. i was like yeah yeah i love that scene too and i was so i remember being angry when i rewatched that scene if it's the same scene that I think because I think it's after they like placed at a competition like they did really well right after they did so well yeah Yeah. they did really Mm -hmm. well and then she comes home and her parents are like didn't you know we're supposed to have dinner at your aunt's and where are you you're supposed Mm -hmm. to babysit your brother and 
you're supposed to cook your brother's dinner and like all this stuff. And I'm just like, she's 14. Like you guys are the parents, like <laughs> relax, yeah. relax. Like, but I will say that part feels authentic in that it at least depicted a reality, you know, for a lot of mm-hmm. Latina, Latinx families, you know, starting young, if you're in a multi-generational home, especially eldest daughters will take on a lot of that mm-hmm emotional labor and just actual labor in the household. So that was one thing I think they got right. Yeah. And that could have been explored a little bit. Definitely. Oh yeah, for sure. And then the other character whose home life we see is Alyssa. Mm -hmm. She has the like extremely supportive parents who are showing up to all the competitions. Well, and I felt like it was like partially implied because we get two families that are characterized and one are two working class parents and the other seem to be middle class to upper middle class parents. And those are the parents that we see as being actively supportive. It just felt like Mm -hmm. pointed in a way that felt a little icky. I don't know. What did everyone think about that? Almost like too easy or like too obvious. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The implications, the optics of it are like just, yeah, just an easy stereotypical choice to make without examining like, well, if working class parents appear less supportive, why would that B, they have to work usually more hours at more right. often physically demanding jobs. Yep. All of the context is not really explored in this particular instance. Although I think the movie handles class in otherwise like pretty interesting ways mm-hmm. because it does acknowledge that this is a school in a lower income neighborhood. Mm-hmm. There's references to like some students dropping out maybe at a higher rate yeah. than wealthier schools nearby there's like a possibility that some students may join gangs i think the principal yep i remember that he like cites that as a reason that miss bartlett should coach the dance team because it'll help keep kids out of gangs but that also you know and then so there's... like white savior coded to me like i exactly. yeah i was i did not really like how the principal spoke about his own students and to his own students at a number of points in the movie where like when we Mm -hmm. meet him, he is telling a black teenager to pull his pants up, which if there is not a more reductive 2002 thing to be happening in a movie. Mm -hmm. And then I struggled with the principle because it just seemed like, I believe that he cared about his students, but there, but the way that he spoke about them behind their backs felt like it really like, it was very, very harsh and reductive at a number of points. I didn't love him. Yeah. He also know. loves the military or like oh, brought his like know. military background into He was like in the military. Yeah. That was definitely like, I guess the implication that like these types of students need or require this kind of like strict militaristic style like form of authority I guess in order to be Mm -hmm. you know led in the right direction or whatever like the tough love kind of thing is like that sort of trope like that's what's required and it's like well or you could just like not be an asshole 
basically. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> High school principals, I feel like are all cut of the same cloth to some extent, where it's like, yeah, you have to be sort of hardened to the world if your job is being yeah. torn to shreds by teenagers every day. Very true. <laughs> I wouldn't survive a day. Mm-mm. But I feel like it's frustrating because we see him be very harsh to the students to their face. It would have been nice to see, I guess, him have like a gentle moment mm-hmm. with a student, but we really only see him have gentle moments with Mrs. Bartlett for some reason. Right. Mm-hmm. And you're like, again, Miss Bartlett is just like in the way in this weird way. Agreed. Where he's like, oh, let me show my soft side to this random lady with no teaching experience <laughs> who just her dot com company failed. How does she go? From having a background in dance to then being some executive at a tech company or like an internet startup or something, and then to a biology teacher, like, what is that trajectory? I mean, I think that that is probably an attempt to comment on like on the Teach for America culture where it's like Mm -hmm. that program does bring in teachers that don't have a lot of experience. Mm -hmm. But again, it's just like the fact that we know about two of this lady's failed careers indicates that we (laughs) know too much about her. (laughs) And then we like never learn anything about Yoli except that she's not good at math. Why do I know about all three of Miss Bartlett's careers (laughs) and nothing about Yoli? Like it's really, really unbalanced. I like what you just said about her just kind of being in the way of the story like that's what it feels like when I watched it there would be a moment of like the girls being on screen or them with their families or something and you're kind of just wanting a little bit more and then it's like back to Miss Bartlett and Mm -hmm. like her the fact that she was at Juilliard for two weeks and it's like okay I mean okay she's crying I just was like I I feel bad I did laugh when she cried because you're just like (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like get over it not that I get it trauma can look like anything but this one was pretty silly one of my favorite (laughs) moments in the movie that made me laugh because it was just so out of nowhere and hokey was when Chewy and Daisy broke into the school on a weekend to like, I don't know, be mischievous or whatever they were doing. <laughs> yeah. No, she like, had to pick up her backpack. Yes. They broke yeah. into the school and then she's like, wait, what's that music? <laughs> and Miss Bartlett's like flash dancing in the gym by herself. Yeah. And Chewy's like, wow, she's hot. Wow. And you're like, what am I watching? Oh, why, is, why is this on my television screen um <laughs> and then she finishes dancing and then she starts crying and you're like oh god we're gonna have to learn about whatever's I going know, on here i know she cries, don't so care times. <laughs> something that really stood out to me was it's miss bartlett's idea for these girls to incorporate dance from their cultures their cultural backgrounds like yeah. why wouldn't that be the girl's idea and then the way miss bartlett frames it too is like let's do something really innovative by taking advantage of your background (laughs) which is such a white perspective to be like of course you think that incorporating existing dance styles from other cultures would be innovative innovative well this is coming from the same woman that on the first day of auditions was like 
I will not allow any tardiness for any reason, even if you're Esmeralda and you have responsibility to your brother. Also, no dark lipstick and no jewelry and no just like all of these very pointed sounding comments to be like, I want you to be a Juilliard ballerina or you're out. And I feel like it was at least presented in a way that was like, oh, she means business where it's like, no, I think she's being She's saying a lot of fucked up things. <laughs> yeah, like her subconscious bias was definitely showing. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, we're trying to paint the dancers like they can only be dancers if they look and act a certain way. Um, yeah. And I do think, obviously, you know, thinking about sort of the stereotypical white blonde haired, you know, Juilliard ballerina. And then to your point, those comments about like, because I think Esmeralda was like walking in late and she's like, I'm sorry, I had to, you know, like pick up my brother after school or something like that. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, tardiness will not be accepted. And it's like, it's your first day. Like, can we be a little like realistic Cut here? Some slack. Yeah. yeah. And then the um remark about the dark lipstick and like the long nails and, you know, yes. like, obviously as it's like those are signifiers for a lot of latinas in relation to how they do you know their beauty routine and mm-hmm. things like that so that was it's, it's just like yeah definitely some like coded subtext there whether that was intentional or not you know what i mean but right. it was definitely there and if it was intentional it should have been commented on like as yeah. a part of like if we absolutely have to be invested in this woman's arc unlearning her racist biases. biases should be a part of that. Yeah. But instead, the closest you get is another moment where I laughed, where it's like a serious scene between Mrs. Bartlett and Daisy, where Daisy teaches her the phrase, si se puede. And oh, yeah. um, she goes, si se puede. And you're like, oh my God, <laughs> Mrs. Bartlett sucks so much. She's so annoying. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Standard. That reminds me of uh, another point you made in your Refinery 29 piece, Makita, mm-hmm. is the lack of diversity across the spectrum of Latinidad, yeah. where the characters, for the most part, at a school that seems to be predominantly Latinx, Latine students, they're at least on the dance team. Mm-hmm. There are no, for example, Afro-Latina mm-hmm. students. Mm-hmm. We're also not sure what nationality any of these girls are. Right. We yeah. know that the other girl in the main cast, who was introduced later, so she has even less characterization mm-hmm. than the other ones, but Marisol. Marisol, I want to say, yeah. She is an immigrant from what country? We don't no. Right. Yeah. And then the other thing with her is that there are several references to her English not being perfect, which again just feels like another easy stereotypical choice where right. of course, like when a language is not someone's first language, there will be challenges often for that speaker, but to like constantly draw attention to her not being a native speaker just felt a little and is because like that's the only thing we really know about her like, right like, exactly yeah English not being her first language is sort of this clunky movie of the week way of conveying plot information yeah. and that is like how it goes mm-hmm. at the climax of the movie where it's like that is not not quite the joke but like that is the function of her character is to communicate information to other people and we know nothing about her other than that 
Yeah. Right. And then they're like, are you sure you even understood that correctly? Yeah. And she's like, yes. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's probably something that could have been touched on like once and then not it'd be right. It doesn't need to keep like, there was definitely a lot of missed opportunities for just, again, more character development and something else that would be an actual like marker of her personality or her mm-hmm. back. You know, it's just, it was very one dimensional. I will say she is the one who, says like oh it's like my grandmother always says si se puede which becomes the team's uh, yeah. motto so yeah that's her contribution but aside from that we don't know really anything about her yeah. but back to just the lack of diversity and there are no cultural specifics mm-hmm. for the girls who seem to be mostly well I don't want to make any assumptions I would hazard a guess that at least some of them are first generation mm. maybe some of them are second generation or more but you know, it would stand to reason that they would maybe mention like, oh, like, you know, this is my specific cultural heritage. And maybe they didn't do that in the movie to just try to seem more inclusive. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't want to leave anybody out. Yeah. So we're not going to be specific. But it also but just then you makes... get like the monolith syndrome. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So and then there's not much body diversity either no. in the cast where... I mean, America Ferreira, especially during this time in her career, was one of the few young, fat actors at this time. And this is something that a lot of movies she was in at this time calls a lot of attention to, or just a lot of the media, because... We covered Real Women Have Curves last year, yeah. Yeah. I don't hate the way body size is handled in that movie, but then you've got things like Ugly Betty and like Sisterhood of the Traveling pants which like so much attention is called to her size and how she's bigger than the other girls around i like that this movie just allows her to be fat without calling attention to it although the first thing you see her doing in the movie is buying a candy bar which again just like feels like a oh well of course yeah fat girl is gonna buy candy and then that's not something we see any of the other girls doing but i was also like yeah let her have her snack jesus fucking christ i hate that a girl eating a candy bar is a political statement it's yeah it's so frustrating (laughs) well and even even worse is like in that scene i think she dropped it and then somebody stomped on it and then Mm -hmm. like daisy can't come you meet daisy and she like tells the bully to back off or whatever right and it's just i don't know like you said like can we just let her have her candy bar and like not make it into a thing. Cause I think the bully said something like, Oh, is this part of your diet? Like making, candy, yeah. you know, like some snide remark and true. And that was unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I think we talked about this in the sisterhood of the traveling pants episode forever ago, but yeah, like because yeah. America Ferrera was one of the only teen actors that wasn't extremely skinny at this time, it felt like she had to take on so much like not she couldn't just be an actor because she also had to be a signifier of Mm -hmm. body Mm -hmm. type that was supposedly not allowed but now we're allowing it but just for this one girl and yeah I mean and unfortunately I think that that there is still a lot of that around today but Mm -hmm. it's just I don't know I love America Ferreira so much I just like wish her the best in every damn thing she had to take a lot of shit so much oh yeah for existing i also wonder if because again because outside of her character there's no body diversity yeah and i almost wonder 
because she's the only fat character, is that why her characterization seems to be scaled back? It wouldn't mm. surprise me. It's happened before in many movies where yeah. the one fat character in the movie has little to no characterization. I think that's a really good point. Very possible. It's so bizarre because it's like this movie is so, I think because of the genre it is, like it's pretty vague in most ways other than you know that most of the characters are Latina. But like, I mean, speaking to your point, Makita, in, in your piece, like you would have to change very, very little about Mrs. Bartlett mm -hmm. for her to not be a white character. I think that there are elements that it's like, oh, this is cooked into who this character is, but it would have been easy to scale back. And I think that that is like kind of what can be potentially freeing about mm -hmm. movies like this is that they're like not written in a hyper specific way. And so you can cast anybody and yeah. like who you cast mm -hmm. makes a difference. But I think in certain roles, yeah, like in Yoli's role and in Mrs. Bartlett's role in particular, like they sort of played to stereotypes and they played to easy quote-unquote marketable choices versus acting in the best interest of the characters mm -hmm. for sure yeah yeah I would have loved to have seen a Latina and Afro Latina mm -hmm. play Miss Bartlett I think that could have been really cool but mm -hmm. oh well absolutely yeah <laughs> Well, now they just need to remake the movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh Reboot. The Reboot. last thing we need is another. Um, <laughs> any other thoughts before we sort of wrap things up? My last little thing was, I think it's great that this is a predominantly female femme yeah. cast, but I also think it would have been cool to see some boys on the dance mm -hmm. team as well, mm -hmm. especially in this context. Dance is considered to be like a more feminine activity especially because they seem to and maybe this is a thing maybe this is just my ignorance about what certain high school extracurricular activities are actually like but they're a dance team but they're wearing cheerleading uniforms and like oh, doing pom-pom unfortunately things? a thing standard? yeah <laughs> okay that's just my ignorance okay anyway so in any case this would have been considered, I think, a more feminine extracurricular activity, but I think it would have been cool to see some boys like doing dance and being on the dance team to kind of challenge those gender role expectations. Yeah. But I don't think that like takes away from the movie. And again, I appreciate that this is largely a like all femme cast. But that's it for me. Yeah. Any other thoughts? I think for me, I mean, I think. It's still like, I feel a little nostalgic for it. And I do think like we're watching these with the gift of hindsight and, mm -hmm. it's, yeah. you know, it's so easy to say we would do this and this differently, but, you know, I appreciate that it was at least like a step in the right direction in terms of, you know, yeah. broadening representation on the mm -hmm. Disney channel, which like was such a seminal, like pop culture thing for so many like millennials in particular. So mm -hmm. I appreciate it for what it was at the time. For sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We talk about this a lot on the show of like stepping stone movies of like this movie's success. You can hope because it was so, I mean, clearly we're talking about it over 20 years later. Like it is yeah. a well-remembered movie. Yeah. This movie led to better and more thoughtful representation. And so in that way, I feel like, yeah, we talk about this in movies we grew up with all the time where it's like, well, no, it's, you know, it is in no way perfect, but 
because there were young people who wanted to make stuff watching it, it did have an important role and make a difference, which is kind of, you know, in some ways the best you can hope for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Indeed. And it handily passes the Bechdel test. Yes. Almost all the time, except when it's yeah. like the principal or Chewy. I think those are really the only times where it isn't a discussion about something other than a man. Oh, yeah. They're talking about dance. They're talking about Juilliard. Being bad at math. Being bad at math. <laughs> etc you know all the major topics of conversation look say what you will i was talking a lot about being bad at math in high school Mm -hmm. it it consumed a lot of my time not me i was talking about being good at math whatever (laughs) well no i'm kidding i don't know what i was talking about in high school Uh, so long ago anyway yeah it passes a lot although i again i wish there was just more meaningful relationships established among the girls on the dance team but it does still pass a lot but as far as the perfect metric Mm -hmm. which is of course our nipple scale of course where we rate the movie on a scale of zero to five nipples Uh examining it through an intersectional feminist lens i'll be oof i'm between like a two and a half and a three i do appreciate that the movie is in essence about a group of latina dancers in middle school even though they're in ninth grade which is again maybe another thing that i'm misunderstanding that's confusing really i was like middle school ends at eighth grade i thought ninth grade i think it changes by region though because i think in some places it's like it could be five to eight it could be six to nine like i'm pretty sure it varies i will say when i was like going through middle school high school i'm originally from lincoln nebraska so Mm. like there were some high schools that were 10 through 12 oh okay and then there were a couple middle schools that i think were six through nine if i remember correctly but i think at some point it all kind of shifted again and then the traditional middle grades were six through eight right well yeah when i when i think about like the range of dates that my public school went through you're like why it it actually makes more sense to do it in like four-year increments because i did like Mm -hmm. k through six seven and eight and nine through twelve and why was that Mm-hmm. We'll never know. Anyways, another thing we don't have the answer to. Any case, yeah, this is semantics that I shouldn't get hung up on. But I appreciate that it's about this group of Latina girls at this school that addresses class in, you know, could have been uh, handled more thoughtfully, but I appreciate that that's a component of it. We didn't really talk about the, you know, Daisy getting an offer to apply to this like prestigious performing arts school and yeah. like assuming that she wouldn't be able to go because her mother couldn't afford it. And she's like hesitant because she thinks she assumes it'll be a bunch of like rich white kids at the school. So, you know, it, it does some things to tackle class. It does some things to sort of characterize some of the girls, but again, because it is such a focus on the arc and the backstory of the, Miss Bartlett character, especially where like she's a white woman from uh, seemingly an 
more upper middle class background coming in Mm -hmm. to be this like white savior figure for these kids who might be on a bad path. So she has to reach them through dance. And it's like, well, they already want to do dance. Like, yeah, you're actively preventing them at many points in the story (laughs) from doing it. (laughs) You keep like trying to bail or like holding, but they, and they're constantly like, it seems like you're holding out on us. Like, can you be more present and like quit betraying us all the time? And she's just like, haha, what? (laughs) Um, Anyway. So I think a lot of the choices feel very early two thousands era. A lot of, things were not challenged that would I think be challenged were the movie to come out today yeah the lack of characterization for some of the girls the lack of specificity I think is potentially harmful Uh lack of diversity among the Latina students things like that with all that in mind so yeah I think I'll give it two and a half nipples sort of a split down the middle and I will give one to America Ferreira because she's just so wonderful. I'll give one to Camille Guati. That's who plays Daisy. And I'll give my half nipple to Marisol, who I wish we knew anything else about. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Any more information would have been nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go... Th- Three, I kind of even want to go a little bit higher, but I think that that might be nostalgic. Uh, I'll go three because like we've been talking about, I mean, this movie has many shortcomings. It's lack of diversity within the Latin community. It's lack of specificity. The fact that this movie should absolutely be about the relationship of girls on the team and not girls and Juilliard flops like that will never stop being annoying to me I totally mm-hmm. forgot about it and now I will never forget about it mm-hmm. yeah I think that like this movie definitely fumbles in a lot of ways and also I want to hold space for it as a very very unique movie to its time mm-hmm. at least in I mean in the like millennial movie oeuvre. Mm-hmm. especially targeted toward like young tweens or just mm-hmm. young people in general Absolutely. Like it's almost and it it shouldn't be this way, but it is almost completely singular in terms of like a piece of mass media designed for tween girls that is theoretically exclusively about Latina teens. Mm-hmm. And that, and I appreciate that it had such a big impact. And on the rewatch, I wish that because it had such a big impact, it had handled a number of issues better. Um mm-hmm. Miss Bartlett's a flop. Uh, I wish that we could just sort of eject her out of the movie or change significant things about her. Um, There were a number of girls on the team I wanted to know more about and didn't. And yeah, the the lack of cultural specificity felt very, I don't know, indicative of what Disney Channel was about at the time, even when they were producing movies like Gotta Kick It Up, which is that it seems like the undercurrent for Disney then and you could also still say Disney now is that they are assuming whiteness of their audience. Mm -hmm. And so they're assuming that you wouldn't care about more cultural specificity, which first of all is not true. And second of all is deeply white centric and reductive. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to give this movie three nipples on nostalgia points. And because I do genuinely believe it led to better representation down the line because it was so successful. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to give one nipple to 
Daisy. She's the best. I'm going to give a second nipple to Yoli because in my memory, she was the protagonist and turned out not to be. <laughs> and my, my final nipple, I'm going to give to a scene that made me laugh so much. The scene where the website guy comes to <laughs> Mrs. Oh Bartlett's gosh. house and says, his website is huge. Gossip and news for teens. You could go to London. And I was like, what a speech. <laughs> what, an, <laughs> what a sick man who immediately doesn't matter. <laughs> And those are my, yeah, my nipples. Yeah. Uh, Makita, what, what do oh you gosh. rate this movie? Oh, I will give it, I think, two nipples. And I mm-hmm. think they are mostly rooted in nostalgia mm-hmm. just for like, and I started off my piece very nostalgically, like just writing about like, you know, it's 2002, like you're getting home after school, sitting on an inflatable mm-hmm. like neon chair, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. eating tricks yogurt or whatever. And like, this is just <laughs> like, these movies are just so associated with that specific time in my life. Um, mm-hmm. Simpler times, arguably. So I think there's like, you know, just you miss kind of that feeling. But in terms of the actual representation, it is pretty lacking. I think it, to me, it sort of falls into this category of like checklist representation, right? It's like, yeah. okay, we have some vaguely Latina characters. We're not really going to go beyond the surface level. Um, we like have some glimpses into their whole life, but obviously as we've discussed, it's not super substantive. Um, there's, you know, one character who has, who speaks English as a second language and there we go. Like there's the movie guys. And it, it, I think it's sort of hoping, you know, as we've said, just hoping for a little bit more and then it never just arrives. Mm-hmm. I think it is definitely a product of the time. And unfortunately yeah. we just, we meaning, you know, Latinas, I'm multicultural myself, you know, um, that was something that I didn't see represented in media really at all, um, mm-hmm. which is a conversation for another day. But like, I think it was just like, you're just so hungry for anything. So you, yeah, you're happy with what you get. Right. So all that you're being said, the crumbs. yeah, you're happy with the crumbs. <laughs> exactly. Which is like so sad, but yeah, I know. <laughs> so two solid stars, mostly for nostalgia's sake, I will give one to America Ferrera because America Ferrera. And then mm-hmm. I think I'll give one to actually Nancy de los Santos because oh, yeah. just, you know, a fan of her work, especially Selena. And it's cool that she was involved in, in the project. Yeah. I was surprised to learn that this movie was co-written and directed both by Latine filmmakers Mm -hmm. yeah and like already successful like we're not even catching them at the beginning of their career stand and deliver came out 15 years earlier yeah and uh, i mean it's cool and it feels like there is like a creative commitment because you wouldn't just you wouldn't simply make a decom if you were already very successful unless you had a real love and investment in the material Mm -hmm. yeah so i think it's amazing yeah agreed Makita, thank you so much for joining us. This was so much fun. Thank Truly. you. This was great. Where can we find your work? Where can we find you on social media? How do we keep up with you? You can keep up with me primarily on Instagram these days. I'm at mm-hmm. Rivas Raves. 
I am also contributing, as I mentioned, Refinery29 Somos, Eater DC for my like Washington DC folks, because I'm based in DC. So I cover the food scene here. Mm, cool. nice. But I, you know, just I would say follow me on, on Instagram because that's usually where I try to share some of my work. Amazing. Yeah. Thanks again for being here. Come back anytime. Oh my gosh. Yes. I'm happy to talk early 2000s movies, literally <laughs> any moment of any day. So just let oh, me know. Just say the word, baby. We're here. <laughs> I can't wait. And then you can follow us on mostly Instagram these days as well at Bechtelcast, as well as subscribe to our Patreon, aka Matreon at patreon.com slash Bechtelcast where you can get two bonus episodes every single month, plus access to our back catalog of well over 100 bonus episodes, all for $5 a month. And you can get our merch over at tpublic.com slash the Bechtelcast. Get your weird Halloween merch. Ooh, Beetlejuice. Nice. Declaring definitively, <laughs> do you think Beetlejuice comes wet scabs mm-hmm. or dry scabs? One of our grossest <laughs> ideas, and we turned it into we sure merch. did, and now is the time to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> now is the time to announce where you stand in the Infinity War. <laughs> that it. is, what does Beetlejuice come? Yeah. Well, well, good note to end on. Great note. <laughs> Should we uh, all get together and learn a dance routine? I'm down. And sure. win regionals. Should we Let's all learn Miss Bartlett's dance routine <laughs> that caused her to cry at the end? <laughs> Let's, I was like, I yes. only will do a dance routine if I am allowed to weep yes. in the gymnasium afterwards. <laughs> That's where I'm most comfortable. So, yes. Of course. All right. Let's do it. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. What's out there is unknown. So at UC San Diego, out we go. Because to take on the challenges of the here and now, you got to get your feet wet, your eyes open, and your mind out there. Way out there. Turning the unknown into cures, culture, and connections with each step forward. So pack a bag, a notebook, and some sandals. And get ready to look far and think further. UC San Diego. Learn more at ucsd.edu.